This morning, I'd like to um, share some things and, uh, from God's Word, and really, I, I don't have anything more uh, to share with you than what uh, God has given me, and I don't really believe that the Lord would want me to share anything more than what He's given me for you today. And uh, I'm just so um, thankful for all of you and uh, for your prayers. Robin is my best friend. I love her to death. i got to tell you, uh, I would not uh, want to live a day without her and in my life, and I thank you, uh, Robin, very much. Uh, you've been, uh, I, yeah, you know. But anyhow, I know we have a lot of folks out today. I didn't even realize, because uh, I've kind of insulated, uh, we've been a little insulated this past week, uh, so... I didn't realize we were in turning the clocks ahead, to be honest with you. So you're blessed to be here. I'm blessed to be here. And uh, for those who might might have missed the uh, time exchange, we're, we love them anyhow. Amen. I want to talk about the habits of Christ, his life of compassion. And um, as I do that, let me just say thank you. I know some of you have uh, certainly been aware and have been praying about uh, some things for us. And uh, we appreciate that. That makes a difference here uh, for us. And in doing so, we also thank God uh, for his answer of prayer uh, as he provided um, uh, little Mackenzie uh, back here. Uh, Mackenzie Edsel, uh, you, you want to show us that little guest that you have here, Jessica? We're great uh, to have you uh, with us. I mean, uh, I don't know... Um, Pap, would you be able to hold that little one, hold the thing up there? Can you do that with your shoulder? I don't want you to injure yourself, but that, she's a beautiful little girl back there. Mackenzie Rose, is that right? Rose, is that the middle? It's great to have you with us. So you make sure that you take, uh, uh, you know, a careful gander at this little one here. She's a precious little baby, and uh, and uh, and uh, so we have. Uh, a celebrity here with us today, so amen. So uh, this morning as um, <laughs> we look at God's Word uh, together, and um, you know, it takes me, uh, if I seem, you know, a little discombobulated, you know, a diet of uh, a prednisone will help you that way, you know. Uh, Twelve tablets a day, they kind of help you a little bit, you know, to to see things you haven't seen and hear things you haven't heard before. Uh, so I'm um, a little, uh, if I'm going to try to stay uh, centered a little bit here because it's a little little challenging uh, today. I'm not always in my right mind, and when I'm not and I'm medicated, then it's even worse. So, uh, But anyhow, who has believed our report, Isaiah 53? And to whom has uh, the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender root, and as a root out of dry ground, and he, shall, he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We all, like, we, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him uh, the iniquity of us all. And there's much more to that, and I would encourage you to read the remainder of that. Um, but I want to jump down to 12, and it says, Because he was poured out, he poured out his soul unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So, Lord, we thank you for your word today. Help us, Lord, to understand that this isn't just good uh, knowledge. This is life-changing, powerful uh, word. And, Lord God, it's not meant for us to, um, to enter, be entertained by it, but to be transformed in it. And so, Father, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that we would be, Lord, transformed by the word of God. 
Uh, Lord, that we would cling to the counsel of the Holy Spirit in this room today, knowing, Lord, that uh, you are a God who, Lord, doesn't have to retract. You don't have to, uh, Lord, change anything that you say, because what you have said stands for time and eternity, and it's infallible, and it is inspired, and it is you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, as we we come together... um, into the house of the Lord, I'd like to, first of all, reflect upon something that had been a part of my life many years ago. And uh, as we talk about uh, seasons and people that God brings into your life, uh, there was a man named Ralph Brandt. And Ralph Brandt was a man uh, that I, like I say, I, I think we met him 38 years ago when we began in pastoral ministry on staff in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, but Ralph was not really, there wasn't much noteworthy about Ralph other than uh, he was someone who's, uh, who I love. There are people that you meet over the course of time that you develop a connection with, a kinship with, that just kind of goes a little bit further than a lot of, uh, a lot of relationships will carry you. And, um, you know, Ralph was one of those fellows that uh, he was in. A, he was eighty. Um, he couldn't see well. He he wore very thick glasses. Uh, he would come in. Uh, he played a saw sometimes in church. He played spoons. Uh, it was kind of a novelty that they had kind of incorporated because Ralph was such a lovable person. And um, but the thing that I remember, among other things, but the thing that really stands out about Ralph was that he really wasn't the kind of person that people would have sought out. Uh, There wasn't anything really about him that would have made him stand out to people and say, hey, I have to know that guy, other than Christ in him, which is pretty appealing to to all of us. But one of the things that Ralph would do, I had an office upstairs on the second floor uh, of the uh, church in Lancaster, and... um, Oftentimes there was a piano. Well, there was a piano in the in the youth room, which is, was off across the way a little bit. And I'd be working in my office, and I'd hear that him start tickling those ivories on that piano. And I knew that there was going to be a process that would unfold there. Uh, that uh, Ralph would soon make his way into my office. And he would sit down, and we would talk a little bit. It was, and Ralph. Uh, before you knew it, Ralph would graduate from the seat over behind my desk, standing behind me, uh, praying for me. And he would, the tears would be running down his eyes and, you know, they'd literally be falling on me as he stood behind me and he prayed for me as a young pastor that God would be with me. I got to tell you, uh, that meant more to me than probably most things that I can remember. You know, that was the one thing that stood out about Ralph above all other things. And it stood out in my mind some 38 years from the time that it took place. And it didn't happen once. And I never asked him to come in and pray with me, but he always offered. I knew he had an agenda. When he came in to play the piano, I knew eventually he would make his way over. Because uh, he, he was a widower, he had no one at home. And he would walk over from the Lancaster Hamilton uh, apartments, watch apartments. It was a watch factory that had been converted into apartments, and he'd make his way over, and that was part of his routine. But, you know, Ralph has long since gone to glory, and he's someone that I look forward to seeing again uh, because he made a difference in my life. His tears were a language that communicated with me much deeper than any words that people can say. And, you know, because he didn't have to say a lot. He, when he would pray, it wasn't a perfectly articulated prayer. It wasn't a King James prayer. It wasn't uh, all the best of English. And, and he would tend to spit and when he prayed. And, uh, but you know something? There was an anointing in that spit. And there was an anointing in those tears. And I, don't, I didn't mind ever being awash in it. I pray that that gift will be transferred on to us. Uh, through the Holy Spirit, that we're those kind of people that can, uh, you know, I, I don't give much, to, you know, talk is really a cheap thing. We can all talk a really big game, and I'm not being smart, I'm just saying that's what we do, we talk. Talking is the most, e- is the easiest thing that all of us can do is talk. It's like breathing, right? It comes easy. But, you know, the world will be changed not by what we talk, but how we show compassion, 
how we show the spirit of Christ, demonstrate that to other people. Ralph was not a, a, what do you call, he wasn't a wordsmith. He wasn't a public speaker. There was nothing about him, but the man was anointed by God and he had a heart that was compassionate. Because you can have all the gifts and the skill sets in the world, you can have all the acclaim and acknowledgement that men can give you, but if you don't have compassion, you really are nothing. That's what scripture says. If I give my body to be burned, if I give everything I have to the poor and I have not love, I'm nothing, right? So we want to be a people of compassion in a world that desperately needs it. You know, my daughter has a a young lady that lives next to her uh, and her husband. And this girl's life is in shambles and in a wreck. And she can be pretty pushy. And she comes in and wants to talk to my daughter quite a bit. And my, she has kids. And, our, and you know, the thing is, we were talking yesterday. And I was glad to see uh, that she identified that this girl was, God's, uh, was, a, was sent by God to her. And that she need, she's a broken person who needs someone who knows Jesus to show love. You know, and so when I think about that, I was glad to hear her say that because, you know, of all the things she could, uh, could have said, I was glad to hear that the Lord had awakened her to the idea that, or, or to the impulse that that young lady, broken as she may be, as, as inconvenient as it might be in life, was placed, uh, they were placed as next door neighbors and God was going to use her to minister to this. Isn't that really what this is about today? Isn't this what the Christian faith is all about? That in a day-to-day communication of life that we share Jesus with people. You know, a lot of the people that we meet along the way, they couldn't care less if we're pastors. They don't care what position in life we hold. They're not, they're not impressed by it. In fact, a lot of people are more turned away from us because of our church affiliation sometimes than anything. And it's where we have to step beyond that in the spirit of Christ into the lives of people so that they can see. And, you know, I pray to God that I never get to a point in my life where I value anything more than his heart in my life. How about you? Isn't that your heart? You want, it, you want God's heart to be your heart. You want his passion. And, you, and I thank God for all of the compassionate folks that are here, all of those whom God has placed in the lives of other people to share this great gift the characteristics of God that are most important and most critical in this day. And I, I know a lot of you have been so kind uh, to so many people and so loving in so many ways. And I want to encourage you, if you've been following that path, to keep going. And if, you, and if, you're, and if there's other things that have sometimes displaced that in our lives, and it can because we're all busy, we all have our things, we all have our problems, we all have our issues, and it's easy to lose sight of the need in the jungle of our own personal circumstances. And so today as we we come here into God's house, I think about the the price that Jesus paid for our redemption. We read this this, uh, chapter in Isaiah, and I want to get down through some of this, and uh, but, but I, and it's important to me. I mean, I take time and God speaks and gives me things that I feel he wants me to share with you. Sometimes we all as preachers will get on our own path and we'll share some things that are our add-ins, but I want to try to stay in line with what it is that God has for us today. Because of the price that Jesus paid for our redemption, all that he did made compassion an essential and irreplaceable core component of all kingdom ministry. You know, it's the core. And some of you, you know, I want to say, all, all, a lot of you, all, I, I trust all of you, have demonstrated such a great compassion to other people. And I want to give you that as a kingdom compliment because, you know, I, I, Ralph stuck out in my mind. He changed my life because he was a man of compassion. He was a man of sensitivity. I couldn't have cared less if he used hick words to pray. I couldn't care less if he was, uh, you know, he, he was looking and he couldn't half see you and he would spit when he talked because he had something in him that the world is dying for. 
And that's that compassion and that grace and that character. And one day I had the opportunity to come upon him in a time of need. He had been hit by a car. He couldn't see. He stepped out into a path of a vehicle there not far from his home. And you know something? Uh, I, I, we were on our way on a Wednesday night to church, and I saw the ambulances and things. I couldn't tell what was going on uh, exactly, but I knew it was somewhere in the intersection close to where Ralph lived. And I, I said to Robin, I bet you that's Ralph. Um, I, I hope not, but I think it could be. And so we rode up there, uh, up the block, and we got out. And sure enough, there were paramedics around him, and Ralph was laying there. And his pop bottle glasses were lying on the road, shattered. And he was laying there on his back. And you know, the thing is, uh, even in that moment, I walked over, and Ralph said, my pastor, can you fill us back up so my pastor can pray for me? And I got to tell you, it was such a blessing to give back to him just a little bit of something from God's wealth in that moment of need that, that it, it, it just stuck, you know, because he, he gave to me and I had an opportunity. And in life, we have those opportunities to show what we have been shown. We have those opportunities to give beyond what we've been given. And I pray that we all value that. You know, when I think about the servant of God in Isaiah, he's a man of sorrows. Uh, the Hebrew phrase literally means man of pains. And it refers to both physical and emotional suffering. God's suffering, uh, suffer, uh, servant would not be immune from difficulties. In fact, he would be acquainted with the deepest of grief. You know, God is compassionate in his relational attributes toward us. Uh, the Bible says in Isaiah 30, 18, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Uh, blessed are all who wait for him. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will, and will have compassion on uh, his afflicted ones. Matthew 9, 36 says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered and like sheep having no shepherd. Uh, then he said to his disciples, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, I thank God for that. The, the Bible notes that Jesus had compassion. Jesus performed miracles. He raised the dead. He multiplied the loaves and the fish, right? Uh, he healed the, the blind. He raised up the lame. He taught in the synagogues and the temple. He was about, he read the scripture. And he, he was about day by day. He was about his father's business. But the Bible says that Jesus went about doing good. You know, that can never be overlooked there. You know, we like the high-rising high, high acts that God performed when he raised the dead and he healed the sick and he did all of these things. But he lived a lifestyle of doing good. And doing good might not make the headlines all the time, but you know what? It makes a difference. Come on, church. You with me this morning? It makes a difference. You know, doing good might be the least. And, and Ralph was a person who did good. His, uh, it translated into something much more powerful than maybe if he had come in and said, hey, pastor, I want to preach at you for an hour. That might not have resonated quite as much. But he came in there and God had anointed him and it rose to another level. Our, our God is a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with our grief. You know, some people will say they know what you're going through and they will. Other people will say they know what you're going through and they have no idea. You know, and I think we can either be on either side of that. We can either be telling people we know what they're going through or we can be receiving it. And, and you know, sometimes it's true and God sends people who have walked down that path before and he will use them. And certainly the Holy Spirit is able to give us an empathy that's not based upon our personal experience. But in life, we're going to encounter people who are broken uh, people who go through difficulties, you know, even people who go through marital issues and family issues, if we've not been down that path, sometimes it's easier for us to preach at people than to have any level of empathy and understanding. Because we know they have problems and we know someone's to blame and someone needs to get it straightened out. But you know something, everyone has their struggles. 
I would dare say that there's no one in this room who would want anyone else to see you or I on our worst days. How many know what I'm talking about? Not always the most patient person, not always the, the kindest person. You know, I'm not, a, you know, we find ourselves, but that's where the grace of God, he, he, he refines and he works in our lives to produce something that is a blessing. Jesus is this man of sorrows in his full humanity. He suffered the pains of this life. In his humanity, Jesus experienced the following to provide vicar- perfect vicarious redemption for others in a hopeless and lost humanity. You know, um, I, I watched my wife in her interaction, and I got to tell you, you know, I'm not saying, you, you know I believe this, right? You do know that. Um, my wife, in, in my life, she's one of the kindest people I know. She just is. She, she thinks the best of people. She tries to see the best in every situation. And, you know, and, and she's got to wait sometimes to pull along because I'm not always with with it until she slaps me. And, uh, but I will say that, uh, you know, I watch her interact with people that I would be more reluctant to engage. And how many of us would be honest that there are people that we're more reluctant to engage because they're, they live in a world that's so different than ours and it's sometimes awkward. But she's able to, to, to make her way into the lives of people. And, to, and, and, to, and, I, and I watched, we, we went into a store and there was a, 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 you know, somebody in there that worked there. And, uh, and, and she didn't allow the obvious things that were different uh, to, to be an impediment to her. And reaching out and loving and showing kindness. You know, people need to be acknowledged. They need to know that they matter. They need to know that they're significant. You know, Jesus did not come into this world to condemn the world, but that through him it might be saved. Jesus did not come into this world for the purpose of prosecuting sinners. He came in to this, came to this world to prosecute the case against all of us, and that is the, the sinful nature that has enslaved us. And so when I think about Jesus and I think about the, the vicarious uh, provisions of his life and death, Jesus experienced emotional pain, physical pain, mental anguish, loss, rejection, tribulation, temptation, weariness, death, and ultimately the grand blessing of a resurrection. And compassion's payout for you and I is, uh, is a divine empathy. It is a grace that is shown to us that is undeserved. It is a mercy that triumphs over judgment. It is a perfect salvation and a forgiveness and a restitution. It is justification by grace through faith. And that not of yourself or myself, but it is his gift. And, you know, redemption, reconciliation, sanctification, and we have the promise of a resurrection. When we hope, we find comfort in the fact that Jesus is a man of sorrows, that he knows what it is like to feel what we feel. Thus, his empathy is not merely theoretical. It is practical, and it is personal, and it is powerful, and it is supernatural. You know, God knows and shares in our sufferings. I think of the poignant picture of Jesus showing compassion as he wept at the grave of Lazarus. Jesus joined with other mourners who wept. Sometimes that's a greater gift than we could imagine. The Bible says we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and we are to weep with those who weep. It's easier to rejoice when things are well And sometimes we have to allow the Holy Spirit to give us a deeper dive into something that would not be natural for us to be able to weep with others when their hearts are broken. I've not arrived at any of this. I'm a work in progress. I don't stand from an ivory temple or an ivory pulpit. I'm standing here because I desperately can see how far I've got to go, and I'm sure it's much further than what I realize. But I'm growing in the grace of God. And by the end of this thing, when I leave this world, I want my life to be a body of compassion and served to care for other people. Because, you know, as I get older, I remember there were times when you put a resume together and you try to highlight any strengths that you perceive you may have or someone acknowledges you've accomplished. But at the end of it all, I want to know by, from God's hand that I've served well. 
And I've done what he called me to do. Isn't that? And, and we put people at the heart of this mission and not in the back seat. We don't put them, you know, this isn't about building our ministries or our things or our titles or our names or our churches. Jesus never said, you will build my church or you will build your church. He said, I will build my church. And thank God that we get to be a part of what God is building because he's gracious to include us. I'll be done here in a little bit. (laughs) I think about the fact that when God's presence through Christ came into this world, it really was the ultimate act of compassion. He didn't have to come here. He did for our benefit. If he hadn't come, you and I would be desperately lost. We'd have no answers. We'd have no, no hope to look forward to. But for, for his sake, he didn't have to do any of this. His presence in this world was the ultimate act of compassion, which should never be taken for granted. Sometimes it's the people who are there, not so much even what they do, but the people who are there. And help us to be those people who identify those outside of what we know and who we know, that we are those people that can be seen and counted upon in those times of need. When Jesus came, he, God showed up. How many, know, how many can say here today that God showed up for you? God showed up for me. Time and time and time and time and time again. Even when I didn't show up for him, he showed up for me. The church's presence in the world is a conduit through which the Holy Spirit releases compassion. You know, God shows up through the church. God shows up through the church. He shows up through you and I. Bible says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as Christ forgave you, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Jesus came to this earth, and I got a few things I got to hit here. Jesus came to this earth, a king of perfect love and compassion for all. The love of God is the capital of the kingdom. It's the resources of the kingdom. It's the wealth of the kingdom. It never loses its value. Its worth simply is endlessly revealed as the Holy Spirit perpetuates Christ's work in our church and in our lives. Love is the one all-inclusive law, a love that Jesus spelled out in his sermon on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, and a love that satisfied the demands of God's commands. Romans 13.10 says, Love does no harm to neighbor, to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Isn't that interesting? Love is the satisfaction of the law. It's not the letter of the laws, following the letter of the law that brings satisfaction of its demands. It is the love of God that satisfies the demands of the law. The controlling attitude and behavior in this born-again society was to be compassionate, to demonstrate love in uh, action, and to provide caring concern for others. Compassion was present in Christ, and compassion captures the moment. In Luke 7, 12 through 14, we read the story of a widow who had lost her son, and as his dead body was being carried out, the only son of his mother, she was a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. And it says, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Aren't you glad that compassion meets the need? Compassion is there as the need arises. You know, sometimes people feel inadequate, and you're not inadequate. This is a beautifully gifted group of people who love others. And if you love other people, you are well on your road to being capable of meeting the needs that are in front of you. If you, are, you love people, if your heart's tender toward those, and I'm not set, suggesting for one moment that I, I assume that nobody, I believe everybody is. But you know, if we believe that every one of us have arrived at where we should be, we would never have to preach another sermon, right? Because we would know it all. And we don't know it all. 
And we're here today. Compassion is Holy Spirit sensitivity. To show compassion requires a quality of sharing with and perceived value of others. We share with others. We see value in others. Uh, Indifference would reveal a lack of perceived value in others. Jesus never demonstrated that. Christian compassion is a spiritually active disposition of being with others, not merely feeling about others. Compassion is much deeper. Love revealed compassion upon others. Christ in his holiness was sensitive to sin. And in his love was compassionate. Uh, He was compassionate to those who were suffering the consequences of inherited depravity and personal sinfulness. I think I'm sharing this today as I, I, pray, I pray over these things. And I, sometimes I don't fully understand why or where, but I know it is. But I do believe that this world is so terribly broken. There's so many wreckages everywhere in every city, town, home, uh, every workplace that there is just wreckage among us. And we are not sent to this world to prosecute. Come on, church, are you with me this morning? That's not our ministry. There's nowhere where I find that ministry in the church where we are called to prosecute people for their sin. Because for every finger that points at them, there's 10 that probably points directly back at us. Who are we but for the grace of God? Who are we but for the mercy of God? Where would we be if it weren't for the grace of God? Where would we be if it weren't for the mercy of God that triumphed over our personal failure? Sinners from the tyranny of sin who are enslaved, Jesus came to rescue. The fallen nature and the economy of death, he came to overthrow. He came to this earth to prosecute against sin, evil, and spiritual enslavement, hopelessness, and the devil. He didn't come to kill but to give life. Jesus was fully aware that uh, that those to whom he ministered were sinful. He knew they were spiritually weak. He knew they were broken. He knew they were easily crushed by the weight of the law. He knew the anointing was rested upon him to, to bring deliverance and freedom. There is no such thing as an impersonal, indifferent Christ. It, it, is, it was a meek and gracious and powerful Christ. You hear that? Meek and gracious and powerful Christ. He said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Right? For I, how does it go? For I am meek and lowly in heart. You, you know, take that. My, my burden is easy. I don't know. Help me with that, Rob. You got it. You know where I'm going. But anyhow, you think about that. You know, Jesus didn't come as the heavy-handed Pharisee. Do this. He didn't make people twice the son of hell that he was. Because he wasn't, but that's what the Pharisees did, right? He said, when you, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you do, you make them twice the son of hell that you are. We think Jesus never spoke the hard words. We think he only said the soft and delicate things. And he soothed uh, our conscience and he just said things. that. But Jesus spoke very directly when he needed to. And I pray that whatever is produced through whatever we're selling and whatever we're doing will reflect grace and compassion. And I'm saying that for me. I look at a mountain of failed, failed attempts at other different things, and I'm so glad that God is so good to me. How many of you look back and you say, if you had a cemetery for all the ideas that didn't work or the things you ought not to have done, it would be, it would be a big cemetery. And Jesus takes us out of that cemetery to walk in the abundant life. He came not to snuff out the crushed uh, uh, he, uh, the, 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 the smoldering wick. He didn't come to crush the bruised reed. Matthew twelve twenty, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench till he sends forth justice to victory. A smoking flax is a reference to the wick of a lamp. The lamps of ancient time were often made of clay and were filled with olive oil. The wick uh, for such a lamp, uh, lamp was a few strands of flax fiber twisted together. And the flax was a quick burner and hard to keep lit. But Jesus' purpose wasn't to suffocate and to, and to smother, but to 
to extend and to give life. You know, we think of that bruised reed, and it wasn't simply an external contusion. It was a deep wound that Jesus came to bring healing to, the deep wounds that people have. You know, Jesus didn't come to this earth to break off the bruised, but to give life at a deep level where people are broken and, and, and injured and damaged. The compassion of Christ in the world is this. You know, Jesus has, uh, has always shown in Scripture and throughout life a compassion for children. You know, children are a gift of God. Amen? They are a gift from God. Yeah, they're a gift from the Lord. You know, and I told, I got to see my daughter yesterday. We had a very good conversation about some very substantive things. Sometimes you have to have some conversations that go a little deeper than how you do one. <laughs> and we talked about uh, how quickly life goes and how important it is to invest in the things that are important. Not to waste time with the foolish stuff. We've all wasted time, and sometimes we learn from the wasted times, but we don't live there. And how to make people the priority in your life. Because you will never accomplish anything more than what you invest in other people for the kingdom. You'll never be more instrumental than what you give away in Christ. Jesus' compassion for children, the Lord's compassion for children and mother. You know, we talk about this issue of abortion, and, you know, I, I realize how terrible it is, and people are sensitivities on, you know, from every direction. But I, I want to say two things, that Jesus had great compassion for children, and Jesus has great compassion for mothers. Because we sometimes talk about this issue as though it only involves the children. And the children are, are the cream of the crop with Jesus. But when you look at it, Jesus also has compassion for women, mothers, who are facing situations and circumstances and, and having to make decisions. It's not either or. God loves mother and child, right? It's not just about preventing something because we can suppress it in some way, but allowing us, helping, being able to see that God wants to transform life at the deeper level so these things don't happen. Isn't that what ministry is? It's not about conformity. It's about transformation by the renewing of your mind. It's not about conformity. You can't press people into a mold. That's why people reject religion a lot of times is because we, we try to press people into a mold. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does and let him work through us, right? That Let the Holy Spirit do the work. You aren't the Holy Spirit. I'm not the Holy Spirit. But we can certainly be a conduit through which the Holy Spirit works. You know, the people of Israel were a society that, in general, they prized children. Uh, you know, uh, aborting and child uh, leaving, uh, leaving a children outside the, 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 the gate to die was what uh, was pa uh, practiced by pagans. Motherhood was to be honored in God's design and regarded as, as made by God. Children and the unborn are sacred. They are, they are, they are gifted by God. It, they, even before their conception, our God knows them. The gift of God, his workmanship, Christ's compassion flows down the avenues, the back streets, the isolated roads, the country villages, the suburbs, and into every city, class, sect, and, and ethnicity, every culture. Births are cause for celebration in the kingdom of God, and we celebrate children. That's what we need to do, celebrate children, right? That child that was brought into church today, that child should be celebrated. That child should be loved. That mother should be supported, right? That's what this is all about. We celebrate the gift of life. We make our statements by what we celebrate and how we celebrate with people who are blessed to have children, right? Births are cause for celebration in the kingdom, identified with family, and Jesus came to be part of one. You know, Jesus grew up with brothers and sisters and no doubt had opportunity and responsibility to help care for his younger siblings. He thus acquired realistic insight into the characteristics and needs of children. You know, but the interesting thing is, as we see, Jesus' uh, siblings, for the most part, did not believe in him. You know, James uh, came to a place of faith, and we read that he refers to Christ in James 2 in, in, in an exultant term. 
And he recognizes Jesus for who he was. But there was a time when, when they did not believe in him. For many years, they grew up with him. And you can imagine the challenge of believing that someone is the son of God, right? That to understand that when you see them every day and you experience life with them. But, you know, it's hope for us to know that even those who were closest to Christ, who rejected him, could see who he was eventually, not everybody, but when you think about even during, and I'm going to get to this, when Jesus was walking to the cross, or when he had been nailed to the cross, he looks down and he sees his mother and he tells John, you know, behold your mother, you know, and, and, and like in return, behold your son. Because where were the others at? Maybe it was, maybe they weren't there on that day because they didn't believe in him. But what Jesus was doing would make a profound impact upon their lives, which would eventually draw them into the revelation of who he was. You know, as you and I think about this today, Jesus was anointed with compassion for children. And even as others were annoyed by their restless presence, Jesus delighted in blessing them. I, you know, we have six grandkids. There could be a seventh on the way. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes uh, their restlessness is annoying. It is. I mean, honestly, I know you like, oh, it's never annoying. Oh, it is. It's annoying sometimes. But I love them to death, and I love them, and I love them. My love for them is greater than the annoyance, because I know these moments go way too fast. His arms were a safe place for them, and his blessings were full of prophetic promise and providential blessing. I'm going to ask Tammy if you'd come. In Matthew 18, Jesus said at that time, it says of Jesus, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, assured, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, everyone who humbles themselves as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one little child like this receives me. This is really interesting. Children. Jesus showed compassion for children. Jesus showed compassion for women. How many women are glad for that today? You know, I, I want to share some things that here I think are pivotal and important in, 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 the, uh, in the church's view of the women. You know, Israel, for, a, for the most part, was a patriarchal society in which women occupied a subordinate position and in many ways were treated as social and spiritual inferiors to men. It just was the, it, 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 it's not by everyone, but by uh, uh, many in, that, in the culture. And, and there's a, an order that God has placed, and we understand that. And so I'm not speaking to anything that God has established. But there was great, uh, there, there were many times was a disposition that women were inferior and they were there to bear children and nothing else. And, uh, you know, that was a view that many held. But God loved women. The Lord loved women, right? Come on, is that all right with you? If Jesus loved women, because even if it is, then he did anyhow. Jesus loved women, not with a perverted, sexualized love. But Jesus loved every people group that could be dismissed. He loved children because they could be annoyances and people would say, get those kids away from me and said, Jesus said, no, no, mm -mm. they're coming to me. They're going to find safe haven in my arms and I'm going to bless them. He saw women and how they were abused and they were abused. There's no two ways. You cannot read, you cannot read history. You cannot read anything with regard to the treatment of women in the culture that Jesus had been a part of where you can, prior to Jesus coming, that you can say that it wasn't true. And I'll, I'll share some of that. In their younger years, daughters were often treated with suspicion. They were closely supervised in order to prevent anything that might be viewed as unchaste. A woman could be regarded as unclean for a number of things and had to undergo ritual purification. And, you know, we, we know this in Scripture. When you look down the female role, you know, it, it, you understand when a, when a, when a when a girl reached a marital age, a marriageable age, she was often bartered by her father. After marriage, she could be bartered by her husband if things, if he saw fit. 
The female role was that of a housekeeper, a time-consuming and physically strenuous series of tasks. Her role was that of childbearing with frequent pregnancies. The more children she bore, the higher a wife was held in esteem. Our neighbor, they have 11 children. I say that because they are in really high esteem. After childbirth, a woman was regarded as unclean and in need of purification. If a woman displeased her husband, he could divorce her, but a wife could not divorce, could not, would not be granted the same right. If she were suspected of adultery, a wife would be subjected to a very humiliating examination, but no such provision was made for testing a suspected husband. A woman had no property rights. She could not serve as a witness. She could not share equally in worship. Singing and chanting was done by men exclusively while the women listened in their own synagogue compartments. Ten men were needed to be present for a quorum or for a meeting. It could not be nine men and one woman. It had to be ten men. Nine men plus one woman would not do in, the, in this time. But when Jesus came, he brought some things to light that showed a value in women that was not seen readily by those who abused the law. God sets his law. He establishes that God is holy. You know, I, I know, I, you know, God is helping me to see that he's, he's God and I'm not. I don't understand it all, but I do know when Jesus came, something transitioned. And people could say, well, it was because in the New Testament church, there was the Hellenistic influence upon the Jewish ladies that opened them up to studies and learning. And I, I am sure that that in part had a role. But I believe the bigger role came when Jesus came to this earth. He saw a group and a population of women who were often, often treated poorly, disregarded. You know, the woman who had been taken in adultery, have you ever wondered what happened with the man? Do you ever wonder why Jesus stepped to the rescue of this woman? Because he saw the gross hypocrisy and the, of these who had gathered. And he, he says, you, whoever's here with the first sin, you go ahead and throw it first. You see, Jesus knew that there were certain penalties for adultery. But he also knew that in the heart of man and in his practices, there was gross uh, disparity. There was a prosecutorial spirit that ruled over many because they wanted to punish. They wanted to humiliate. They wanted to shame. And there should in some way be an acknowledgement of sin. And we don't, shouldn't be parading and gloating in sin. There needs to be repentance and sorrow before God. But not forced, not prosecuted. You can't force somebody to have a change of heart. You see, some of the schools when the Hellenistic involvement came and, and, and there was a broadening of their, the ladies' experiences with learning and reading and becoming educated, there, there was a drawback within the schools of certain Juda- Judaism that drew back to tighten the reins back. And then yet there was others who had stepped forward. And, you know, even today we debate things about women's role in the church, what it is, how they're to serve. But, you know, I I think a lot of times what I hear and see, people cherry pick what they are most comfortable with accepting. Because we didn't hand out any bonnets at the door today. When you think about uh, this today, Jesus came and he showed compassion to those who were, were not treated properly. Children, Women, and I'm not saying men, men should be esteemed, not vilified, not, not eviscerated because of their, their male. I'm not one of those. I don't believe that. I believe God created men to be men and women to be women and to both of them to be people of God. But Jesus saw the inequities and he saw the hypocrisy and he saw the exploitation in the name of religion and he came. And when he came to this earth, 
he changed, there were certain things that began to change and to transform. Some of Jesus' closest followers were women. Not perverted relationships, not these stupid things you see on Hollywood presenting, you know, all these crazy notions and ideas that aren't scriptural. Jesus was pure in all regards. He was pure in relationship. His compassion was extended to those who weren't treated well. Theoretically, any adult had the right to read and to, and to speak in the synagogue, but in practice, women were physically separated from men in the synagogue and were not allowed to read at all. Furthermore, women were denied the education which would have, would have enabled them to speak articulately with Scripture at times. Jesus, however, was sensitive to the needs of all people, whether male or female. You see, some of you may you know, uh, already have your ideas uh, formed about what I'm saying, and that's fine. I, you know, I'm not here to convince anybody that way. But what I am going to say to you is this. Jesus came to break walls down. Not to cause gender roles to disappear. Not to cause a man to not be a man or a woman not to be a man. And not to live within his design and purpose. But, you know, man has always, this fallen world in the name of religion, has often mistreated people and treated them badly. And Jesus came as a champion for those who were being treated not well. And he came to bring freedom to the, there was a woman with an issue of blood. Remember that woman with an issue of blood, uh, who had been bleeding for 12 years, instead of condemning her or withdrawing from her, Jesus, uh, when she touched him, you know, Jesus could have said, get your hands off me, you dirty woman. But he recognized that someone had touched him and he knew that the power of healing had flowed in from him, had left him. And he called for an acknowledgement of this woman. There was another woman who was a prostitute. You see, this takes this well beyond. If you were concerned about whether women, what they could do in church or not, you have to understand what Jesus was doing with women in public was far worse in the eyes of many. He was allowing them to touch him. He came to their rescue when they had been caught in an adulterous act. She had sinned. She had been taken in adultery. But he also knew that she was being used by some self-righteous people for a purpose. A woman, a prostitute, approached Jesus while he was eating. There's no way... There's no way that you can look at this and say, well, you know, it, 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 it makes sense because it really doesn't. Grace doesn't make sense all the time. He approached, he approached Jesus while he was eating in a Pharisee's house. She poured precious ointment on Jesus' feet and washed them with her tears. Compassionately, Jesus, who knew her penitence and faith, defended that bold with a bold, extravagant action that sent her away with the benediction of grace and peace. I want my kids and my grandkids to know that Jesus loves them. Don't you want that for your grandkids? You want people to communicate that God is a God of love, that he's not walking around with a sledgehammer in his hand to beat and to destroy and to maim and to kill Jesus came to give life. I'm going to ask you if you'd stand with me just for a moment. And Jesus' example, his attitude toward widows was shown in his encounter with a funeral procession outside the city of Nain. A young man had died. He was the only child of a grief-stricken mother who was laced with loneliness and in all probability destitution. In Jesus' sermon in Nazareth, he inaugurated his public ministry. He referred to a widow as being the object of God's saving grace. And that contradicted the prejudices of some in the audience. This morning, I think of Jesus at Jacob's well. Compassion brought him to Jacob's well. 
Jesus' compassion for others. There were those, uh, hear this, I, I am going to close. I, you know what, we, we, if you can, you, will you let me finish this just a second? We got Bible studies, we've got Sunday school, they all run an hour, right, or more. So uh, let me just share and convey this a little bit to you. If you'd hang on just for a moment. When Jesus emphasized the seriousness of sin, within the church, he told them, that the offender should be taken and treated as a tax collector if they refuse to repent. Jesus didn't hesitate to touch lepers who were to avoid all human contact. He intervened in the lives of people supernaturally without prejudice. He healed the son of a centurion, an officer in Rome's oppressive army. He healed the daughter of a pagan, a Canaanite woman. He talked with a Samaritan woman and shared with her the liberating truth about God. He chose a Samaritan and a model of God's own compassion. Jesus welcomed the common people who gladly listened to him. The Jewish religious uh, leaders looked down on the people with contempt because they were religiously illiterate. Jesus pity for the poor as he reached out to them. And Jesus loved those who were in darkness. This morning, this is a grand group of people called by God, crowned by his glory and his grace. We have come here for this moment today to allow God to enlarge our hearts to be what he wants us to be. To those he has sent us to in the seasons and the times that he's given. We serve his calling. We serve his bidding. We we don't serve our own. We serve him. And Lord, I pray today as your people that as we've come into this house and there's so many kind, loving, compassionate souls who are, Lord, showing who Jesus really is to so many people that, Lord, we'd be nothing but fueled and excited in our hearts, Lord, to to extend your hand to those who need it. Lord, I thank you for these folks in this room. They are not only friends, but they are family in Christ. They are part of the body of Christ. Help us to be, Lord God, kind to children, to women, to men, to the poor, to the broken, to the sinful, because all of us have been sinful. How many of you just say, God, give us the huge heart, Lord, that you want us to have. Lord, help us help us. Lord, I pray that as we look at Jesus' life, it was a chronology of grace. It was a chronology of compassion. It was a chronology of groundbreaking truth and life. Help us, Lord God. Lord God, we praise you. We thank you. Lord, we are so privileged to be in this house today with your children. But Lord, there's something stirring in my heart that says there are other children who've not been reached yet. Maybe they're not like us. Maybe they don't fit. And that's okay. As Jesus said, there are other sheep that have not yet come in. They must. And Lord, I pray that I'll be there. I want to serve you that way, Lord. Lord, at the end of this all, Lord, I pray there'll be a little bit of Ralph in all of us. Lord, a man who knew that, Lord, more could be accomplished in a moment of grace and compassion than could be accomplished standing on a mountaintop. Lord, we praise you. Hallelujah. Whatever you're playing, Tammy, would you mind playing that? And I I do want to thank you all for being here. I got to tell you, it's... uh, been physically, I got to be honest, physically challenging today for me. And I I want you to know that through all of the stuff, I pray the Holy Spirit will, will minister to you, will minister grace to you and touch your life. 
Oh, just God is so good. He's so good. Come on, can we just tell God how good he really is? This isn't about us being good. It's about him. You know, God is so faithful. He's so good. Lord, you are so good. I'm here because of the grace of God. How many just say, God, I'm here because of your grace. I'm not here because I'm good enough. I'm not here because, Lord, there wasn't much to fix on me and I could easily be made churchable. I'm here because the grace of God has done a wonderful thing. And I want others to know. I want others to know. Men, women, children, the rich, the poor, the educated, the uneducated, Lord God, those who are, Lord, normal, those who we think aren't normal. It doesn't matter, Lord. Reach them all. Help us, Lord, to be your hand. Bless each life in here. I pray that everyone will go out and know how good God is, how great God is. And Lord, when we cut through all the other stuff, there's only one reason we're here, and that's to share Jesus with others. Tammy, would you mind uh, dismissing us with a, with a song? And if you want to come to the altars, these altars are always open. I, I'm not, uh, you know, they're open. They're just open. That's what I'm going to say. They're open. You can come if you like. You can, you know, that's, everyone has that liberty. So Tammy, would, would you do that? Thank you so much. Robin. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.